I was pulling in the top, and I thought, I better go down there and do a few donuts just to, you know, mess it up a little bit. That was my first thought. I didn't do that. But um, my second thought was, it's going to be interesting to see how everybody discerns where the parking lot is this morning. And, and I think everybody's going to get a really good spot today because they're just going to create their own. Now, probably if you got here for second service, uh, maybe the lines were more visible at that point. But we're glad that you're here. And I love that song, uh, What Can Wash Away My Sins, what, what, uh, Oh Precious Is the Flow That Makes Me White as Snow. And I think this morning was just that great blanketing of snow. That gives that purity, as Carmen said, makes, makes cold worth it <laughs> when there's a little beauty to go along with it. Uh, so glad that you're here today with us. We're starting this new series called Total Forgiveness. And forgiveness is hard. It just is. Um, sometimes people just say, well, you just got to decide in your mind. It's just a mental thing. You just got to decide you're going to forgive somebody. And that's it. You just need to make that decision. And uh, I believe that, that maybe your will, making that decision in your will is a good place to begin, but it, it's not the same as when forgiveness grabs a hold of your heart, and it's really a move of your heart. It's something that happens beyond just up here, but it happens down in here. And it can be really difficult for us to find real freedom from people who have caused pain in our lives. Um, it can be really tough when someone has sinned against us and caused us pain to really, truly forgive. So we hope this month that you're going to find out what it means and experience true freedom from being able to totally forgive others so that we're each and all able to be set free. And that's why we're going to start today by addressing the why of forgiveness. Why should we forgive? Sometimes I think kids say things the best, so we're going to look to a few experts this morning on why we should forgive. Why do we need to forgive? If there wasn't forgiveness in the world... God won't even forget give us. Forgiveness is like giving somebody a second chance. And God always wants us to give us second chances to other people. Because otherwise, if we didn't forgive, we might lose all our friends. Because we would just say, I'm not your friend. You're not my friend anymore because you did something wrong. You messed up my stuff. And then everybody would have no friends except imaginary friends. There you go. That's it. I think we could end right there this morning. If you don't forgive, you're only going to have imaginary friends. And what, you know, what fun is that in life? It's a good word right there. We all have people in our life that we need to forgive. Every one of us do. And sometimes, whether we know it or not, we spend a whole lot of emotional energy in, uh, in our mind keeping track of what others owe us. And if there is, in your mind, a debt outstanding between you and someone else, um, whether it's a front of your mind kind of thing or back of your mind, a lot of energy when you see those people, when you have to interact with them, goes into managing that debt that you feel is owed. So here's a little litmus test for you this morning. If someone walks in the room and your blood still boils when they enter the room, you probably haven't forgiven them yet. It's just a little basic kind of thing. You hear their voice, you see them, and inside your temperature just begins to rise. Uh, or, or maybe your ledger sheet comes out and you begin to look at what is owed to you. That's probably a good sign that you've not forgiven. And you might say, well, you have no idea how badly that person hurt me. You have no idea the, t- the terrible things that they've done. And Inside, you really do truly believe or feel like they need to be punished for what, the, what they've done. And it's possible that if you're at that place, that that wound that you have from the hurt that they've caused you probably has become infected in some way 
or another. And the Bible says that when we get to that place, it has a huge impact on our relationship with God and on our relationships with each other. Just a huge impact on how we live as Christians because forgiveness or forgiving and learning to forgive is at the core of our Christian faith. It's at the heart of who we are as Christ followers. And getting started in forgiveness, even the thought of beginning that journey and not just ignoring the pain or keeping that, that stuff down inside, uh, even just the thought of getting started can be very, very challenging. So today, that's why we're going to begin by asking the why question. So we can just address some of the things in our heart that might open up uh, the opportunity for us to begin the process of forgiveness. If you haven't taken out your outlines yet, you can do that now. Uh, in your program today, take out your outlines and follow along. Why should I forgive? Number one, because when I choose to punish others, I forfeit intimacy with God. When I choose to punish others, I forfeit intimacy with God. So choosing to forgive is choosing to have intimacy with God over punishing the person who has offended you. Let me say that again. Choosing to forgive someone is choosing to have intimacy with God and be in right relationship with God over your desire to punish the person that has hurt you. And creative punishment, we come up with creative punishment often in our mind. It takes a lot of energy. Um, Take driving, for instance. Some of you have created all kinds of punishments in your mind for uh, the person who's driving too slow or didn't use their turn signal or cut you off. You create punishments in your mind for them, don't you? Some of you are saying yes. Some of you even verbalize those punishments as, uh, as they happen as you're going along. This happened to me uh, Friday night. My son had his last basketball game, and so my wife had to go one way with some of our kids, and I was going another way, and I had to get a baby and a 10-year-old out the door with me, and so I was proud of myself because when I got in the van, it was 10 minutes till the start of game time, and it takes me less than 10 minutes, usually, to get to our school where the game was being held. So I thought, great. Because I'm a kind of guy who likes to walk in before something starts, not after it has already begun. Uh, My wife and I are a little different on that. But I like to be there a little bit before everything gets going and kind of scope things out and be ready for the beginning. So I'm thinking, hey, if I can get the two kids there, uh, we're good to go. So it's 10 till, uh, uh, it takes me about a minute to get from my house out to where I turn on Route 15. And granted, it is Route 15, but I get out there and all I have to do is make a right-hand turn. And as I'm pulling up to the stop sign, there's one car in between me and Route 15. And I'm thinking, no problem, this is going to go well. Well, I'm looking at the clock, and only one minute of my 10 had, had gone by. And so then a whole another minute goes by while the person in front of me is not pulling out onto Route 15. Well, after I had sat there and I watched the clock tick another minute, things started to get a little... Uh, discontent and uh, discontentment began to rise inside of me. And I began to coach that person through with my windows still up. <laughs> okay, take a chance already. Engage. Gonna have to get out there sooner or later, buddy. You can do it. You know, I'm just kind of talking them through it, you know, and, and uh, getting more, you know, watching the clock continue to move. And, you know, we went through a few lines that, of tight traffic, and then some gaps started to open up, but this person was not going. And so then two minutes go by. And now I'm debating. Two light horn taps, maybe? Just a little meep, meep? Is that still polite and courteous? You know, what what do you do at that point? You know, uh, do I walk up to the window and just say, oh, I just wanted to make sure you were still alive? I didn't know, I didn't know what was appropriate, but I knew that my time 
was ticking. And so, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this, and uh, we get to three minutes, and at this point, I'm already punishing this person in my mind. I have got, I'm like, you should not, if you can't pull out in three minutes on the Route 15, you should not even be behind the wheel. Like, I am clearly late because, like, this is all going on, and now I'm thinking, ugh. And so, finally, I'm thinking, when this person pulls out, I'm pulling out right behind them, because by the time they pull out, there's going to be two miles of clear, apparently. So I thought, I'm going to pull out right behind them and just pass them instantly, because there's going to be nobody coming. And so that's what happened. There's a big blank spot or open spot, and I pulled out beside them. And I'm thinking, what kind of punishment do they deserve for this? Well, at least when I pass them, I'm going to take a look over their way (laughs) to see who in the world could possibly have to wait that long to pull out in the traffic. So this is the kind of bad person I am. I'm just being honest with you. So I pull out, and of course, I get right up beside this guy. And as I'm going by, I look over, and it's an older gentleman. And he's got his hands at 10 and 2. And there ain't no way he's looking my way. He's (laughs) firm on the road. And so, you know, I drive by, and I'm just thinking, what kind of person am I that I would have to want to punish this uh, older gentleman who obviously isn't in the same kind of rush that I am today? So I was processing that and thinking about the punishment that I had declared for him in my mind and, and thinking, you know, this wasn't even a personal offense. I mean, I made it personal because then I was late and I didn't get to be to the game ahead of time, but it really wasn't personal at all. And yet I started to get really, really super worked up about it. So I was thinking about the, the times that things are personal. When someone does something that really hurts me or really hurts someone who I love or someone that I'm close to, then how far will I go in constructing a punishment for someone in my mind who's offended me in that way? And when punishment consumes our thoughts, it leaves very little room for God to do a work in our hearts. When punishment becomes our focus, we no longer open up to what God might have us to do or how God might have us to treat that person. And the Bible teaches us that we need to give up our rights to punishment, punishment because punishing forfeits the intimacy that we would have with God. Let's look at this a little more deeply and look at the Lord's Prayer together. The Bible says, this then is how you should pray. And I want you to, let's pray this together out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's stop right there. Okay, this is the part of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray, and he used this model for them. He said, this is how you should pray. But then there's an addendum that comes, that Jesus gives, immediately following the Lord's Prayer that you may not have been aware of was immediately followed the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says this in the verses that follow. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this is the model prayer that Jesus gives us. And arguably, you could say that it's kind of centered around forgiveness. Because right in the middle of it, he says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then as soon as he finishes, he returns immediately to the concept of forgiveness again. Now, we know that as a whole, the overall purpose of the Lord's Prayer, we talked about this a little bit in the last series, in the prayer series, the overall purpose is to keep us in fellowship with the Father. That's why Jesus modeled this prayer, because he wanted us to be able to see the kinds of things daily that we should be able to have interaction and intimacy with our Heavenly Father about, the way that we should relate to him. And when we ask God to forgive us, then he removes the guilt and the offensive attitudes that, that uh, build up in our hearts. 
So if you're here today and you've truly experienced forgiveness from God, you're, you're a Christian and you've uh, asked God to forgive your sins and to lead your life, uh, but more than that, as you've walked through life, you've really known your need of forgiveness. And you've gone to God in times when you just know you've totally blown it. You've missed the mark. Your life has been off target. You've stepped outside of God's design for, for you and, and you've messed up in a big way. If you've experienced that and then you've experienced God's forgiveness in your life, you really, really know what it means to open up your heart again to God. Because when you're a person who's received God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, your heart is totally open to the work of God in your life. And Jesus is explaining to us a mysterious part of how our heart works. And it's kind of counterintuitive to most of us. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus says that to really enjoy intimacy with our Father God, we have to ask for forgiveness, but we also have to be willing to forgive others. We often think about the asking for forgiveness part as part of our relationship with God that will keep us close to God. Well, if I want to stay close to God, I need to be able to confess my sins to him. That kind of makes sense to us. But why does, would Jesus say that for us, it's critical for us to forgive others in order to stay close uh, in our relationship with God? And this is a daily prayer that Jesus was giving to his disciples. This wasn't something he was saying, you might need to pray every now and then. He was saying, this is the way you should pray. Every day, when you have fellowship with the Father, this is the way that you should pray. Every day, you should pray not only for your own sins to be forgiven and ask for forgiveness, but every day, you should pray that God would help you to forgive others in the same way. So let's unpack this forgiveness concept just a little bit more deeply. This word forgiveness right here in this passage in the Lord's Prayer, in the Greek, literally means to send away. Instead of God holding something against you, he lets it go or he sends it away. And this lines up with what we read about in Scripture where the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our transgressions or our sins from us. He sent them away. As far as, as, far as you can imagine, it's not like God has just said, uh, I'm, I'm going to ignore them. No, he sent them away. He's put them out of sight or out of mind for us. And so inst in, instead of God holding it against us, he, he removes it. And second, what is Jesus saying about forgiveness in this passage, that the importance of it, that he brings up this whole uh, addendum at the end? Well, I believe when you look at the passage closely that, that Jesus is actually elevating forgiveness to an essential element of our daily relationship with God. Not just uh, us asking it, but us being able to give it to others. And he's stressing that giving forgiveness to others is just as essential as receiving forgiveness from God. Now, when you look at verse 14 and 15, it can be a little bit confusing. And I think sometimes, um, as Christians, we get a little disconcerted when we read something like this in Scripture. So let me explain it. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We like that part. Then the second verse says, But if you do not forgive others their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. And we don't like that part so much. So, uh, you know, you look at something like that and you think, Is this about me losing my salvation? Like, if I don't forgive people, is God not going to, am I not in right relationship with God? You know, have I fallen out of relationship with God? And Jesus is really stressing here, not so much about salvation. He's talking about your daily intimate relationship with your heavenly father, that you're going to miss out on it if you don't practice forgiveness in your own life. You're going to miss out on intimacy with the father. Jesus is saying that unconfessed sin, especially the sin of unforgiveness, can cut us off from the life-giving relationship that God wants us to have with him daily. 
Basically, Jesus is saying that he is not a fan of us not forgiving others. Now, let me say that positively. Jesus is a big fan of forgiveness. This is what he's wanting us to know in this passage. I want you to think about this. Jesus is saying forgiveness is really important. I'm waving the flag here. He's saying, I champion forgiveness. Uh, I want everybody, I modeled forgiveness. It's what I came to do. It's why I laid down my life so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be back in right relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus is a huge fan of forgiveness, and I believe he wants us to know that so as Christ followers, we can become people who are forgivers. We can become people who are quick to forgive. We can become people who are quick to overlook an offense or a fault. fault. We can become people who are quick to show mercy and not to punish. Sometimes I believe it's tempting uh, to punish the person who hurt you by waiting for them to come and offer forgiveness uh, before you're willing to forgive them in your heart. If they've offended you or hurt you, you think, well, they need to come and tell me that they were out of line, and then maybe I will offer forgiveness to them. But according to this passage of Scripture, repentance is not a condition of you giving forgiveness. Repentance is a condition of you receiving forgiveness. So your own repentance is what is needed to receive forgiveness from God. I want you to catch this for a minute. Even if you feel like you've done nothing wrong in a certain relationship or in a situation, if you feel like clearly you've been sinned against and you've done nothing, nothing wrong, but you've not forgiven the person who has sinned against you and you're harboring bitterness or anger or hurt or hatred or whatever it might be that you're harboring in your heart, you're forfeiting, you're sinning as well and you're forfeiting intimacy with God and with others by not forgiving the person. We don't often list the sin of unforgiveness as one of the big ones in our day-to-day. We don't often think about the fact that we might be sinning by not forgiving the person who actually hurt us. It doesn't make sense to us. But that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying your repentance is your responsibility. Other people's repentance is their responsibility. You might want to write this down. Forgiveness is a gift to both the giver and the receiver. Forgiveness is a gift to both the giver and the receiver. Now, if you're married, you've probably heard the wise proverb, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Uh, We have a little slide about that this morning. It says, uh, never go to bed mad, stay up and fight. No, I I don't think that's the original tension, though I did like that. I thought, well, that's a different way to look at it. But why is this uh, such a wise proverb? Why is it important for us, if you're married, to not let the sun go down on your wrath? Going to bed angry essentially equals going to bed choosing unforgiveness. Now, you can't choose for your spouse to forgive you. If they're going to bed angry, you can't choose that. And even if you feel like the victim in that particular circumstance, that your spouse has sinned against you, and you feel like they need to ask you for forgiveness. You can't control what they do, but what you can do is choose to forgive them in your heart. And if you go to bed angry and you're unwilling to forgive, usually that results in walls being built up, avoidance, uh, lack of communication, mistrust, and a million other things that will kill your marriage. And so if you're married, you know that lack of forgiveness in your relationship not only wrecks your marriage, but it also makes it really hard for you to have an intimate relationship with God, doesn't it? 
You ever have things just be so out of whack between you and your spouse and then you try to pray or you try to spend time with God and it just doesn't seem to work? It's like God has given that most intimate uh, human relationship that you can have to model after his relationship with us. And when it's not, when we're, we're unwilling to exercise forgiveness there, it's really hard for us to feel like we can be in right relationship with God on any level. I want you to, uh, to watch with me the story uh, from years back of Scott and Carmen Biggs. Carmen's on our staff, and Scott's one of our elders, and uh, I appreciate their vulnerability and willingness to, to share their story from years ago, from th- their journey. But I want you to pay close attention as to how Scott and Carmen had to choose to stop punishing each other in order to be able to experience uh, forgiveness and, uh, and God's blessing in their marriage and in their relationship. Let's watch together. marriage story isn't particularly pretty or romantic. As a matter of fact, our road has been kind of hard and downright gritty at times. But I suspect that our story is not unlike a lot of other marriages. And I can also say that our story is one that is evidence of God's grace and his forgiveness and his healing in our lives. When I had shut down emotionally all those years ago, I turned to addiction to medicate, not alcohol or drugs, because my father was an alcoholic and I wanted nothing to do with alcohol. I turned to pornography. I was able to keep that hidden for about the first eight years of our marriage. I remember when I discovered Scott's secret, I remember feeling like I had physically been kicked in the stomach. I physically felt nauseous inside. I just sat in stunned disbelief at what I was discovering. And I remember just the flood of emotions that came over me. I felt humiliated, I felt betrayed, I felt angry, I felt frustrated, I felt all of those things all together at one time. At that point, I seriously considered just walking away. I had had enough. I felt like I had been beating my head against the wall for years. My heart felt like it was just done, it wasn't gonna go there anymore. I just, I was finished, I was through. And in my heart, I kind of began a separation. In my heart, I I believed that's where we were going. And I remember just a little while after everything had hit the fan in our marriage, I remember one morning sitting on my bed and I was talking to God and kind of just crying through, praying through all that was happening, having pretty much a pretty good pity party for myself, if I were honest, that's what I was doing. I remember talking to God that morning and kind of rhetorically asking him questions like, God, this isn't what you want for me, right? This isn't how you want me to live. You don't want me to live in the middle of this marriage that's so broken and hurtful. I've tried as hard as I can try, right? And in the middle of that pity party, I remember so clearly God speaking to me. And I remember him coming to me and him saying in a voice that may as well have been audible, he said, don't play the victim. Don't play the victim. You're not stuck. A true victim has no choice, but you have a choice. And the choice that's on the table for you is that you can walk away from this marriage. It's not the right choice and it carries a whole boatload of consequences you can't even begin to perceive of right now, but that's a choice that's on the table for you. Or, God said to my heart, or you can stay. You can stay and you can work to fix 
what was broken. But if you stay, don't you dare stay and play the role of the martyr and lick your wounds and pretend that you're a victim. If you stay, you work to restore what's broken. You be the person that I'm asking you to be, regardless of how right or how wrong your husband is, whether healing ever comes or doesn't come for him, you be the person that I've called you to be. God was telling me, you stay and forgive your husband. And at that point, I had to decide, would I forgive him? I was hurt and wounded and I felt like he owed me, but God reminded me that I wasn't an innocent victim. I had my work to do too, and if there was ever going to be healing in me or in this marriage, I was going to have to let God do some work in me so that I could move beyond the poor me attitude and release Scott and myself from what I thought that he owed me. If I was going to be free and work at this marriage, I had to stop working toward punishing him and instead work toward rebuilding our relationship. It was hard, and it certainly didn't happen overnight. But slowly, the healing process began. There's a verse in the Bible in Isaiah 61, and it says that he trades beauty for ashes. And that's exactly what God was doing inside of us. He was taking the things that were so broken, the, the ashes, and he was transforming them into something beautiful, something good, something purposeful. He was trading beauty for ashes and it was a beautiful thing. Our marriage began to bloom into something that I never really dreamed was ever possible before. Our marriage is still a work in progress. It's not always easy, we still have to work on it, but it is worth it, especially when you realize your wife has become your best friend. We've been married for more than 20 years now, and I can say that though our marriage is far from perfect, it's a marriage that is a beautiful place. It's a place where we respect one another and we honor one another and we enjoy one another. And you know, if I could go back and undo all that happened in the past, I, I don't think that I would because it's grown us to the place where we are now, to the place where I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I know that our commitment to one another will last for a lifetime. So forgiveness can restore intimacy, not just with God, but with the people in your life who you maybe never dreamed you could have restored intimacy with again, or a deeper level of relationship with. Carmen said it well. She said that when we choose to punish, we forfeit our intimacy with God. And I believe that choosing intimacy with God is, is so much richer, so much deeper, and so much better for us than spending the rest of our lives trying to punish the people who have hurt us. So if you are a punisher this morning and you know that you've been in a marriage or in a relationship that it, you've just been doling out punishment for years because of the hurt that you experience, this might be your time to start to say, God, help me. Help me to open my heart to forgive and not to continue to punish. You know, because we live every day of our lives interacting with people, we work with people, we live with people, there are constant opportunities every day for us to be offended and to be hurt. It's going to happen. It's a natural part of life. Uh, another danger, though, that the Bible clearly warns us about is that sometimes those daily interactions can turn into judgments that we make about people or on people. And that's the second thing we're going to look at. God calls us to forgive because when I choose to judge others, I miss out on God's blessing. When I choose to judge others, I miss out on God's blessing. 
So a lack of forgiveness not only blocks our intimacy with God, but it also keeps us from experiencing blessing in our lives the way that he has intended or the way that he had intended for us to experience. I want to read you a story this morning that um, it's a true story, but it was put to rhyme. So um, it's a little bit night before Christmassy, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, uh, it's a great story. It's, it's called The Cookie Thief. The Cookie Thief. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookies and watched the clock as this gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking if I wasn't so nice, I would blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and he broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at this thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair, the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. (laughs) I love this story on so many different levels, but especially as we look at this topic of forgiveness today, I want you to consider this question. Ask yourself this question. When someone hurts you or offends you, or when someone hurts someone that you love or offends someone that you love, would you rather have God's perspective or your perspective on that offense? I want you to think about that. When someone offends you or hurts you, would you rather have God's perspective on that offense or would you rather have your perspective on that offense? Let me ask it another way. Would you rather have God's blessing and his empowerment and his wisdom to help you know how to get through that hurt and navigate that relationship? Or would you rather set up the courtroom in your mind and carry out their sentencing all on your own? Which would you prefer? I think it is so natural for us to want to become the judge and the jury over the people who offend us in life. And sometimes the truth is, people are guilty of doing some heinous crimes against us. They are. Sometimes in a, in a room of this size, Probably everyone has had some terrible things happen to them at the hands of someone else. But sometimes the people who hurt us or offend us are guilty of only minor infractions. Maybe it was a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of words that were spoken and that they didn't know that they were going to cause harm, nor did they ever intend for their words to cause harm. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a very direct warning about what happens when we jump to becoming judge so quickly. He says in Matthew chapter 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not judge. 
Judging can be such a subtle part of our everyday life, and we make judgments on, on people all the time. Uh, most of us want mercy for us, but justice for others, right? <laughs> Isn't that the way uh, we'd like life to go? And I'm thankful I, I was thinking about this this week. I think that I'm probably, uh, by God's grace, and maybe because of my mom and dad and their investment in me, I, I don't think I'm a person who very naturally holds a grudge or carries out long-time judgment on people. Probably within a day, sometimes less, I'm, I'm probably pretty quick to forget. And I'm thankful for that. I feel like that's a blessing. But I know that's not so easy for everyone in their life. And I know for that for some of you, it's very tempting to not just carry out the judgment on someone, but then to continue um, to think about that in, and let the relationship be led by that judgment that you've given on them. And when we judge others, we say more about our own sins many times than we even want to. Once I heard it said that what bugs you most about others is often something that you don't like about yourself. Something maybe you've pushed off on from your family of origin, from your own life that you've just tried to be rid of. And so when you make that judgment about someone else, you're really internally judging something inside yourself. And here's the problem. When judgment, judging becomes a pattern for us in life, we find that we become our own worst critics that we're a harsher judge on ourselves. And this pattern of judgment becomes really self-indicting in, in our lives. And Matthew 7, 1 says it best, we tend to live under the harshness of our own judgments. I want you to think about this, that pattern that you have, if you get in the pattern of judging other people, how can, when, if you're a Christian and you've made a decision to trust Christ and you've knelt at the foot of the cross and said, Jesus, because of what you've done on my behalf, I ask for your forgiveness and I ask for your leadership. I want you to forgive my sins and I want to follow you. I want you to lead my life. If you've made that decision, whenever you as a Christ follower stand in God's presence at God's throne, judgment comes with mercy and grace because of what Christ has done. But at my throne, in my courtroom, my judgment usually brings condemnation, both for others and for myself at times. And when we get in this pattern of judging people, we become very condemning in our relationships. And it's that language of death, that you owe me thing. I've declared judgment on this situation and you owe me. And then we carry that same judgment pattern to ourselves. And whenever you fail or you don't meet your own expectations or things don't go as well as you would like them to, then you pass down that same critical, harsh judgment on yourself. And it doesn't look at all like the judgment that comes from the cross that's filled with mercy and grace and restoration and renewal that comes from God. Jesus said he never came to condemn, but my judgment tends to bring condemnation for me and for others. That's not what God, how God wants us to live. So if you're here today and you're a judger, Jesus is clearly saying, cut it out. Stop doing it. It's only going to bring condemnation and it's only going to destroy your relationships because it keeps you from feeling like you've let people off the hook. You've come to a place where you want them to owe you. You've come to that place where you want them to feel indebted to you. And because we desire our own version of justice, we bring them into the people's court of our mind. We dispense that justice and then as we judge them, we tally up what we're owed. And over time, I think the problem that comes when we tally up what someone owes us over and over again and we keep that mentality of judgment is that sometimes that you owe me actually translates 
to you owe me, but nothing you could ever do, nothing you could ever pay will make up for that offense that you've done. And then what we end up thinking is nothing short of your removal from my life, or maybe your removal from life itself, is ever going to make up for the hurt that I've experienced. Have any of you been there where you just feel so embittered and you've made that judgment on something that you can't even deal with that person in your life? You just want them removed. You don't want them to be anywhere near you. You've blocked off the flow of God's mercy and his grace. You've blocked off the possibility of God doing anything restorative in that person's relationship. You've passed judgment. There's a great story uh, from a book entitled Sayings of the Desert Fathers that makes this point well. And it's a story about Moses. It's not a biblical story. But it says this, A monk once committed a sin. A council was called to which Father Moses was invited, but he refused to go to it. The priest sent someone to Moses saying, come for everyone is waiting for you. So Moses got up and went. He took a leaking jug and filled it with water and carried it with him by his side. The others came out to meet him and said, what is this, Moses? The old man said to them, my sins run out behind me and I do not see them. But today I am coming to judge the heirs of another. When they heard that, they said no more to the brother, but they forgave him. You know, in scripture, over and over again, we see this pattern. Jesus said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Judge not, don't judge so that uh, you won't be judged in the same way. You know, over and over again, Jesus is saying, your place is not to be the judge. I've never given you that position. Don't take it. It's not yours to take. The Bible says that he's the one righteous judge. He's the only one who's in that position to judge. And because he's in that position to judge, We need to allow him to have that throne in our lives as well. And in the middle of your pain and my pain, in the middle of our own sin, it's really hard for us to to make a decent judgment about ourselves, much less to make a decent judgment about others. So Jesus teaches us not to judge. Instead, he points to this reality that God's blessing comes to those who learn to forgive. God's blessing flows freely to us when we learn to forgive. Would you look at Matthew chapter 5 with me? It says this, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you when people do that. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is from Jesus' longest recorded sermon in scripture. And there are a number of blesseds here. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the character traits of people who are part of God's family. And all the blessings that are described here are are, um, the kind of people that Jesus says will make up the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, blessed are the meek, you know. uh, and, And he goes on to talk about all of the different ways. And then he comes to this one at the end. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you? Why would that be a time when you're blessed? Jesus is saying because actions like forgiveness are how we make room in our lives to be a part of God's kingdom. When people see that we're people who have learned how to forgive, we bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. When more people who are quick to overlook offense, when more people who are quick to show mercy and grace, when more people who are quick to not judge or pass judgment, when more people uh, who are, who are quick uh, to not punish people relationally, we bring the kingdom of God to those places. And people know it. Choosing to forgive instead of judge actually invites the Holy Spirit to have free and total reign 
in our lives. It allows God's kingdom, the way things are in heaven, <laughs> to be the way that things should be on earth. As it is in heaven, so it shall be on earth. And that's, that's what we do when we allow God's kingdom and God's spirit to work through us. Here Jesus said that when others offend us, God promises to bless us. God rewards those who are offended by the hurts of others. Did you ever think about that? God is rewarding those who are offended by the hurts of others and who are able to forgive. You could say it this way. When someone hurts you and then you forgive, you get special attention from God. He looks, he rewards you. You know he's looking out for you. He's coming alongside of you. So I want you to remember this this morning. The person who gains the most from forgiveness, according to this passage of scripture, is actually the person who forgives. Not the person who receives the forgiveness, but the person who gains the most from forgiveness is actually the forgiver. That's the message of Matthew chapter 5. So we want to experience God's blessing, and we want to avoid judgment on people, and we want to avoid uh, this lack of forgiveness. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 gives us good instruction on how we can do that. It says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Would you underline that first phrase? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Now catch this last part, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Would you underline that? Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. According to Ephesians chapter four, unforgiveness leads to all kinds of sinful behaviors that, that scripture says literally grieve or sadden God, God's Holy Spirit inside us. When we don't forgive the Holy Spirit of God, God in us is grieved and is saddened because of our lack of forgiveness. So unforgiveness not only uh, hinders our intimacy with God, but it also deeply saddens him, and then it obstructs the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in and, in and through our lives in a free way. So if you look at, at this passage, really offering our forgiveness uh, to others frees the Holy Spirit to be himself in us. Us learning how to offer forgiveness daily and freely to those little offenses that happen every day in your marriage, in your work relationships, in your friendships. Us learning how to be people who are quick to forgive frees the work of God's Holy Spirit and it it doesn't grieve God's spirit within us. It actually frees God's spirit to work in us in a more powerful way as we become more and more like Christ. And then God's blessing flows into our life. You know, a hinge is something that gives an opportunity for something to either be opened or to be closed off. Hinges are critical. And I believe that the, when the Bible speaks of forgiveness, it speaks of forgiveness like a hinge. It says forgiveness is actually a hinge point on which relational, relational blessing in your life, both with your, your, your family and your relationships and with God, either open up for further growth or forgiveness is a hinge point that can block any further growth and blessing in your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That's how, the, how critically the Bible describes forgiveness. So here's a thought from what we learned today from God's word that might challenge you. What if the amount of intimacy and blessing that you experience in your life is directly related to how much you're able to forgive? Think about that. What if the bigger the offense that you forgive, the more intimacy and the ble more blessing you receive 
in your relationship with God and others. You know, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us. It's often exactly opposite of what the world tells us. And I believe this is one of those places where God is saying, if you're here today and you're married, God just might want you to know, is there a big sin that just seems unforgivable in your marriage? Maybe something that it's just been there and you can't get by it? Or have you just let a million offenses arise and you've been judging or punishing your spouse for years because of your own lack of forgiveness? How much intimacy with God and how much intimacy in your marriage and how much of God's blessing are you willing to sacrifice so that you can continue to be the judge in your relationship and dole out the punishment? I want you to think about what you're missing out on today or in your family, or your friendships, or other relationships? Is there someone that you have a ledger, and you know that in that ledger it says clearly, you owe me. And over the years, those of what they owe you has just seemed to grow, and grow, and grow, because of the hurt that they've caused you. And you're still holding on to that emotional debt, and you are unwilling to let it go. I want to ask you today, are you ready to begin the process of forgiving that person, so that you can experience the full measure of abundant life, and blessing that God has promised to you. You're holding back the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life and his blessing in your life because of the hurt that someone else has caused you and your unwillingness to forgive. You know, uh, this week, we have seven people in our family and um, six of the seven were sick at one point or another this week with something. All kinds of various things that I won't describe. It was a wonderful week. But... um, we came to a point in the week where my daughter, uh, who is seven, uh, began to really complain about her throat. And she hadn't been sick to that point in the week. And uh, she can add a little drama to our family from time to time. So we weren't sure how much this was just her trying to be a part of the sick bandwagon or how much reality there actually was to her sore throat. And the complaining grew steadily worse throughout the course of the day. And I got to be honest with you, there wasn't a lot of sympathy or mercy or grace when half of the rest of us were sick. And we're like, look, Jules, we're all hurting here, okay? Like, I'm really sorry you have a little sore throat, but we're all miserable here. And you're just going to, we'll, we'll get you, try to get you what you need, but you're just going to have to make it through. Well, finally, after a day or more of this went on, the next day, my wife noticed that her glands were really swollen up. And Jen took a look at her throat and said, oh, my And uh, we got her to the doctor, and the doctor confirmed exactly what we thought. She had a severe case of strep throat. And the doctor told us that she had probably been in quite a bit of pain for the past couple of days. (laughs) So when she came home from the doctor with her antibiotic, we all took turns apologizing to her for our lack of grace or compassion towards her in the midst of her pain, which she received greatly uh, with with more drama, but she enjoyed that. (laughs) Um, however, as we started to give her the antibiotic, things uh, didn't seem to get better. And we had a rough night. Uh, I think it was Thursday night or Friday night. I don't even remember which night. But my wife has a tendency to uh, write things out after she has an experience like this uh, to kind of journal them. And uh, before we close, I just wanted to read this to you this morning. This is my wife writing uh, the next morning after our middle-of-the-night encounters with uh, Julia that night. She said, oh, how my heart hurts for her. I'm not surprised at all that she came to me in the wee hours of the night again. I mean, her poor throat is angry. Classic brutal strep, raw and painful, so, so sore. 
You can hear how swollen those glands and tonsils are as she tries to talk. Even the favorite Italian ice betrays her as every attempt at swallowing it makes her wince. The antibiotics aren't doing their job yet. The fever remains. The pain is the same or worse. She is weak and so weary, and she has had every right and reason to come to me in the night. She was a picture of misery. I offered sympathy and some remedies. Sore throat spray? It's cherry. No, I can't even open my mouth wide enough. It'll help you. It's worth a try. No, I don't want to. It won't work. How about a cough drop? You won't have to open wide for that. No, they're yucky. Here, let me give you this to help you with the pain. It's grape. No, I can't swallow it. I'll use this little syringe and squirt it a little in the side so you can just swallow it slowly. She let me put a small amount on her tongue. Ah, I can't. I can't swallow. It's too thick. I can't. I can't. She could, and she did, a little. Here's some more. Swallow this a little at a time. No, I can't. No, no, I won't do it. Honey, this will help you, I promise. No, no, no. For someone so desperate, so weak and feverish, she made an impressive protest. I put the syringe on the counter. Julia, I'm not going to force you. You are the one who came to me crying for help. You are the one who says you want to feel better. I am doing all that I can to help you, and now you're yelling at me, refusing my help. I'm not going to stand here in the middle of the night and argue with you or force you. I'm going to leave this here for you to decide. You have to choose if you want to feel better or not. I'm going back to bed. She wailed, and I stepped away. She quieted, and I heard her footsteps down the hall. She had left the light on, so I went back to turn it off. There, on the counter, lay the full syringe. She had walked away with the hurt and left the help laying there. I went back to bed but didn't sleep right away. I couldn't escape the picture that was before me. That's us. That's me. How many times have I gone to my heavenly father in raw pain, so weary of fighting, begging for relief, and how many times has he offered his answer, a remedy, only to have me protest, to choose to leave it on the counter and walk away, still holding holding on to the hurting. You know, this morning I believe that God has clearly put the healing medicine on the counter for us. And it's called forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness is clearly the answer to a lot of the pain that we experience. And I hope this morning that you won't walk away because it's too painful, but that you'll engage in this series and that you'll begin to allow God to do the process of healing in you as he begins to teach you and I how we can forgive. We know that it's not going to happen this morning. We know that it's not going to happen just in one day, but we do believe that this month could mean freedom and blessing for our church family and for you as an individual as we each turn to God and say, Lord, would you teach us how to forgive? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I, I pray this morning that your spirit would speak to our hearts in these quiet moments, that you would speak to our minds, and that you would bring to our minds anyone who has wronged us, who we need to forgive. Lord, would you just bring those people to mind? Today, God, we choose forgiveness over punishment and judgment. Today, God, we choose blessing 
and intimacy with you and with others. Lord, would you forgive us our sins as we learn to forgive those who have sinned against us? Would you help us this morning to feel the weight of our own sin? Would you help us this morning to feel thankful that you offered forgiveness to us through your love? Would you motivate us, God, to do the same for others? We long for your blessing. We long for your Holy Spirit's work in us. We give you permission to work in and through us freely. Help us not to judge, but to choose to go on the journey to forgive others totally so that we can find freedom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
it's important that we each respond to what God is individually saying to us. Um, today's kind of a big day because as a, for our church family, uh, we wanted today to open up this journey that we're going to be taking this month, and we're really going to dig into God's Word and look closely and allow Him to speak to our hearts about this issue of forgiveness that's so pivotal to our walk with Him. So I want to encourage you, uh, if everybody would take out your response cards and you can put your information on there, if, and on the back, if you flip it over, there's a place for you to put uh, your response. And maybe today, as you reflected on this day, you, you realized, uh, I'm a punisher. I've been punishing people in relationship with me for years for things they probably don't even know why. And God wants to teach you to be a forgiver, and he wants to teach you to have grace with people. And maybe you just need to write that down today, that that's your prayer. Maybe um, you've been a judger and uh, you've sat on the throne and, and uh, because of your judgment, you've missed out on, on intimacy with God and intimacy with others. You've hindered the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and you say, I don't want that anymore. I want to learn to forgive. I want to uh, learn to release, uh, be freed from those emotional debts uh, that I believe people have. And so today, if that's you, um, and you want to write that down as well, you can. Or maybe today, God just brought the people to mind that you know you need to forgive. And I don't know, maybe just, you just want to write down a few initials on there. You have to write their names. Lord, help me to forgive. And, and you write a few initials. We'd love to pray for you and pray with you this week. Today, if you need someone to, to pray with you now, during this next song, feel free to head out to the back and down the hall. Our prayer partners are there. We'd love to just listen and pray for you today. But let's take these next couple moments and respond to God. Uh, whatever it is he spoke to us today, let's respond to him in obedience. Dark and dirty. 
So